Welcome back to Surviving the Crazy. This episode is titled, Paralyzed by Politeness. While politeness is generally viewed as an aspirational quality in most, many not-so-pure-of-heart persons will pounce and exploit this benevolent behavior. At the end of the last episode, we left off at Todd and I arriving back at his house after suddenly leaving that magnificent party in Hollywood. To be honest, I wasn't sure how I felt then, and I'm not even sure how I feel about it now. I've never experienced behavior from anyone like that in my life before. I had never seen a trusted friend go berserk. I have never had anyone lay a hand on me, grabbing my wrists and pulling me out through the crowd. And I certainly have never had anyone yell at me or accuse me of doing things I had not done. What I do know is that at the minute I saw Todd pinning that poor guy up against the wall, I felt instantly sick to my stomach. I know I felt instant regret. I know I felt instant embarrassment. If I could have sunk through that dance floor and gone straight to hell, I would have. Surely it would have been better than staying there. I've never been one to have the spotlight on me, and I certainly didn't want it on me like that. When Todd pushed me into the limo, I felt just an instant of rage. I say an instant because I am not an angry person. I'm probably one of the most calm, kind, empathetic people you might meet. Also, I'm definitely afraid of conflict. I avoid it like my toddler does nap time. So when Todd climbed into the limo behind me, what I really wanted to do was grab him by the shirt collar and scream. Seriously? That was so uncalled for. I even imagine him calming down and going back into the party and apologizing to everybody. I wanted to attack him back. I could feel myself breathing harder and my heart beating even faster. I felt like I was getting brave. I needed to take action. However, when the car door shut behind him and he turned his face to me, that angry, deranged person was then focused on me. All of my enormous emotions collapsed upon themselves like a spectacular building implosion. Pieces of my confidence and shreds of reality exploded inside the limo. I sat there stunned, afraid, and terribly nauseous. Could I have exited the limo? Should I have exited the limo? Absolutely. I should have got out of that car, gone back into the party, and never looked back. After all, I was a grown-ass woman who could do what she pleases. He didn't own me. Clearly, I didn't know to do that, and here I am years later complaining to you about all of it. Which is why I'm doing this exercise and recalling all of it in the first place. I'm just as baffled as my friends and family are as to how I ended up in a relationship with this person. I'd like to explain myself, and most importantly, help those who have fallen into the same trap as me. Perhaps you will find your way out much sooner than I did. Before Todd, I'd never had anyone cross my boundaries. In fact, I didn't even know how to have a boundary, or what that should be. I was never taught to reject people who were mean to me, although that seems obvious. I was taught to kill them with kindness, and really up to that point in my life, no one had ever been that mean to me. Sure, there was some high school girl drama, but not crazy dangerous behavior like what Todd was displaying that night. And maybe what you're thinking about 
The conflict thing is, yes, I had mustered up the courage to divorce my previous husband, and I did have to face some conflict with him there. It was scary, but I'm sure you wouldn't be surprised to find out that Todd was right there for me. He supported me every step of the way. He even enthusiastically encouraged me to take the next steps and get out of my unhappy marriage. He was very quick to point out all of husband number one's flaws and was disappointed in me that I was even attempting marriage counseling with that man. Counseling doesn't work. So when counseling didn't work, Todd was such a supportive friend, he even found and paid for my divorce attorney. I know, shocker. So I didn't even do my divorce all by myself. I had Todd do most of the talking through emails to my ex. Don't get me wrong here. Todd had room to meddle. Husband number one was a real piece of work, if you know what I mean. Let me give you a super quick example. Before we were married, while I was in graduate school and we were engaged, he bought a house. He did not put my name on the deed and then demanded I pay him rent. What? And guess what? I married him anyways. And he never did put my name on the house and still expected me to use student loan money to pay for his mortgage so that he could have money to buy a motorcycle. Ugh. Like I said before, I sure know how to pick them. All right, back to Todd. So there I sat in the back of the limo, paralyzed by politeness. I sat there shocked into silence as we drove away with him berating me on my near prostitution behavior at the party. I wanted to throw up. I wanted to close my eyes and not have him be angry at me. I wanted it all to stop. When the tears began to fall, at first, Todd was more angry. He accused me of crying so that he could stop and I could avoid ownership of my behavior. But no, he needed to finish what he had to say and I could cry all I wanted. No matter what I said, no matter how I tried to explain myself, he only exaggerated my behavior more and more to the point that I was seriously questioning if he'd have been watching me and not some other floozy. Then, seemingly out of nowhere, a simple subconscious phrase slipped out of my mouth. I don't know why I would say it or even if I meant it, but as soon as I whispered it, he stopped. The assault was over. The magic words of, I'm sorry. Oh, those magic words. They were like heroin to Todd. He needed to be right. He could never be or do anything wrong. Any problems that arose were never his fault. Thus, there must be an apology. There must be a scapegoat. That night it was me. I was suddenly apologizing for every detail of the party. My behavior, even my desire to go to the party was a bad choice. A wrong decision and I must apologize. In the coming years, I would see this scenario play out over and over. At his place of business, there was always a scapegoat when profits didn't go as planned. Someone always had to apologize. With his family, I would see this too. Sometimes, I think he would just bring up painful memories from his past, real or made up, just to get attention and a random apology. For example, there were a couple times that we were having dinner with his parents, and there would be like a light switch that went off. Maybe he wasn't getting enough attention at that particular moment, but he would bring up something his dad did years ago and not drop it until he got an apology right there on the spot from his dad. I would sit there agape, thinking this is so strange. Why is he talking about this now? Even stranger, 
this was not an isolated incident. He did this often. Anyways, after spending two hours apologizing on the way back from Hollywood, we made it to his house. It was sometime in the early morning and I wanted nothing more to do but pour myself into my car and cry. Again, there I was, paralyzed by politeness. He said I should come inside and we could have some wine and talk about what happened and what I should do about it. Paralyzed. I didn't know how to say no. I felt like I owed him that time. Or at least maybe now he was calm, we could actually talk about it. I felt like we did need to talk because we were supposed to be friends. And even worse, I still had to see him again. After all, he was the commander of my air rescue unit. I didn't want to be in trouble at work. Looking back, I find one detail of this quite interesting. Todd entered the limo in Hollywood, a hot mess, crazed, sweaty, angry man. He exited the limo in Orange County, composed, in control, and almost sympathetic to my plight of shame. Yes, the tables indeed had been flipped. As promised, we sat at his kitchen counter and opened a nice bottle of wine. I can still recall the sweet release when my buzz started kicking in. My stomach loosened a bit, and I felt less guilty. The tension began to fade. We, however, did no such talking about the evening or the ugly events that transpired. We should have, but no. We left it completely unresolved, and I successfully avoided another conflict. By the time we were finished with the bottle of wine, I was indeed ready for a good night's sleep. Todd agreed, and we headed upstairs. Oddly, Todd did not show me the way to one of his multiple guest rooms. No, I'm sure you can guess. Yep, Todd led me to his room. But wait, there's a twist here. Todd wanted me to sleep in his bed while he slept in a guest room. I know, so weird. When I look back at that move, I'm still unsure. What was the point of that? Knowing Todd the way I do now, it couldn't have been a show of chivalry. It had to have been done out of manipulation or control. At the time, I still found it odd and uncomfortable. I really wanted to insist on a private guest bedroom where there wasn't any signs of Todd or his things. But no, I was polite and used his room. He did keep his promise and stayed out of the room that night. But of course, I locked the door for good measure. Sleep did not come peacefully or comfortably. I crammed myself onto the side of the bed, the parts I imagined that he didn't use. When sleep did come, it was just nightmares about the party. The scenario of that man being pushed against the wall by Todd, then by a bull, then by a WWE wrestler, and so on and so on, by so many things. Finally, I decided this needed to end. Thankfully, when I slipped out of bed and over to the curtain, the light of dawn was there to rescue me. I touched nothing, I said nothing. I slithered out of the house and breathed a giant sigh of relief when my car started and I was out of the driveway unnoticed. I politely exited that exhausting nightmare of 24 hours. I was free. But I was not free from Todd. By 10 in the morning, the text bombing began. I was at my favorite coffee shop, trying to salvage my weekend studies with an endless supply of espresso. 
I was not in the mood to engage in annoying texts. Texts were hard to do back then. Remember those flip phones? The ones with the buttons that you had to push multiple times to change the letter? 999 equals Y. 666 equals O. 88 equals U. Ugh, just took forever. I don't know how any of us ever tolerated that. Smartphones make it so easy. Again, his behavior, even in his texts, were very strange. He started off the texts with questions. Why did you leave? I have to study. You didn't say goodbye. You were asleep. You should have waited until I woke up to say goodbye. I'm sorry. Oh, those magic words. Yep, but they brought sweet, sweet silence. I'm sorry. With that admission of guilt and blame, he was satisfied for a bit. And finally, I could get back to studying. An hour or so went by, and he started texting again. What are you doing? I'm studying. Still? Yes. Who are you with? No one. Can I call you? No. Why not? I'm studying. Take a break. No, I'm behind. I need to talk to you. I call him. He literally had nothing to say. I called and I was like, hey, what's up? What do you need to talk to me about? And he totally avoided that. He just wanted to chit chat. He just wanted to win my attention. It turns out, you don't tell Todd no. But alas, I would still be years away from realizing that at this point. So I politely ended the call as soon as I could and quickly turned off my phone. Back to studying. Just dive deep into the work and don't think about Todd. By the end of class on Monday, my mind and stomach had finally relaxed and Todd barely crossed my mind. I had hours of homework ahead of me that evening and I was looking forward to studying with my friend Perry who, by the way, was eagerly awaiting my explanation for the spectacular party exit the previous Saturday. As we turned the corner to the parking lot, there was Todd leaning against my car. My stomach dropped. Perry's jaw did the same. What the hell was he doing there? I have to admit, I was not pleased to see him, and neither was Perry. Unlike me, she was not afraid of conflict, and she marched right up to him. Once uncomfortably inside his personal space, she pointedly asked him what was on my mind. What the hell are you doing here? To my great astonishment, an apology oozed out of his mouth. He sincerely apologized to Perry for causing a scene at her party, and he went on about how grateful he is that I have a friend like Perry, someone to look out for me at school. After all, I was newly divorced and he was worried about me. I remained stunned into stillness watching this all play out. Perry soaked it in, nodding in agreement to everything he said. It all seemed to make sense to her. Todd suggested that we all go out to dinner and patch things up. Now it was my turn to sit there, mouth agape, in astonishment that Perry actually agreed. She said, me, still paralyzed by politeness, said nothing. Perry continued, We need to get to the bottom of this, and why not do it on someone else's dime at a nice place? 
Even though alarm bells were blaring in my head, I slid into Perry's car and we followed Todd to the restaurant, while Perry chatted away the entire ride there, trying to recall her version of the party events. Maybe Todd is a good guy. Maybe he just overreacted. Let's go hear him out and get a nice meal out of it. I sat there, quiet as a mouse, thinking, maybe I'll finally get that apology from Todd after all. <laughs>